there's a quote that I've, I've shared with us together before. It's a quote that has been uh, kind of being written and rewritten upon my life uh, ever since I was a teenager. It's uh, by a pastor and author, Brennan Manning, and uh, it's probably popular in my life, or it became first popular because it was a part of a, a song that we used to listen to on the radio when I was just a young person. <sighs> when I was just a young person. Some of you are like, you are still... I don't feel young. The quote goes like this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I don't think it's a stretch. As we start this message this morning, I don't think it's a stretch for us to admit that we've been guilty, each of us, guilty of that exact same thing. Now, the Church of Jesus Christ in 2019 continues to be guilty of this same cause of others being distracted from the truths of who God is. If I can speak to this on a personal level, I've got friends who point back to, not this quote, but this reality as a reason why they've stepped away from the church, as a reason why they've stepped away from faith, even as a reason as why they stay skeptical to the things of God. And what I think this quote starts us into a conversation on and the topic of the next several weeks of messages is the issue of lordship. Lordship is one of those terms that we throw around in the church and we hope that everyone understands what it means. But let me break it down a little bit for us as we start this morning. There is a, a, a mindset that is popular within uh, even the Christian church. Where we declare Jesus as Savior. Jesus saves. Amen? Amen? Jesus in his saving also demands to become our Lord. Jesus is Savior and Lord. And he wants to be. In your life... And in mine. Lordship in the life of a follower of Christ is of utmost importance. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9, as he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. Jesus says it this way You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Let me say it this way. The real danger that existed 2,000 years ago as Jesus approached these words and called out those who were identifying as followers of God, who were saying, God is their Savior, 
2,000 years ago, the same danger exists today where in that Brennan Manning quote, where we have been found guilty of declaring, of seeing, of speaking of the saving grace of God without applying it to our everyday. So for the next few weeks, I want to focus on the topic a little more in depth In a sermon series that we're calling Stewardship is Lordship, and not to be real, to be honest with you this morning, uh, in in church circles, when we uh, come up with a sermon series or a message that has the word stewardship in it, there's often uh, a trend within a congregation of any size where if we hear the word stewardship outside of having our eyes closed and our heads bowed, uh, we often grab for our wallets. (laughs) You're laughing because you did it. Well, we're talking about stewardship and uh, righteously stewarding what God has entrusted into our care. We have to approach that conversation with understanding that everything we have is God's. And a true heart of surrender to God means that we place God as not just Savior, but also our Lord. And it requires a humble, submissive attitude on our part. So, join me in these coming weeks as we approach this conversation of what stewardship is, how it is that we are to surrender daily to Jesus as Lord. And let's look, let's answer the question this morning. Let's start uh, with answering the question, what exactly is lordship? And uh, as you've come to know me, you know that I like to uh, define things sometimes based on what they're not. And, and, and I think it's important for us to acknowledge this morning that lord, what lordship isn't. Because sometimes we equate lordship or surrendering to God in certain ways that are wrong. Lordship isn't church membership. Surrendering to God's Lordship isn't uh, belonging to a local church. It's not attending a local church. It's not uh, making sure that we give a certain amount. It encompasses so much more. Lordship isn't about belonging to a local church or identifying with a name tag that this is my church or that is my church. Back in the 80s, the business guru and church leadership guru, John Maxwell, identified, he did some polling of church members across America, and he discovered that 20% of church members don't attend church. 25% of church members don't pray regularly. 30% don't read their Bible. 60% have never given to missions. 75% in the 80s acknowledge that they have never assumed a ministry role in their local church. They've never served. 95% of church members identified back in the 80s said that they've never shared their faith with another person. And yet, 100% of church members would agree that they were going to heaven. In the 90s, the same kind of polling took place, and it was found that 78% of Americans, not even churchgoers, 78% of Americans believed they were going to heaven when they died. However, when they were asked questions continually, most of them identified as never praying, never reading the Bible, and never even attending church. They admitted that they lived to please themselves instead of God. 
And here we are in 2019 where the common trend, the conversation that happens in many of my circles continues to be somewhere around the reality that 2%, maybe as little as 2% of born-again believers regularly share their faith with any other person. These statistics aren't without their foundational reality where we often talk a big game but our actions don't line up. We often say that we know what it means to be saved by the blood of the Lamb. We often talk about grace being abundant and being ours, and yet we experience those conversations and that reality of saving grace, and then we exit a place like this, 1215 Riverview Road, and we go back to life as normal with us being the Lord of our own lives. Scripture is clear. I, I, I've said it to you before that one of the most difficult passages of Scripture for me comes from Matthew chapter 7. Where Jesus is speaking, starting in verse 21. And I want to say this before I read this passage of Scripture. This will never be a popular passage of Scripture. This is not one of those passages that we print out on vinyl and stick to our living room walls. This is a passage of Scripture that the Holy Spirit continues in my life to point out the responsibility that we have in the area of discipleship and leading people into deeper relationship with the Lord. Look at this. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus' words. If it's in your Bible and it's read, it's because these are Jesus' words. Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone, Jesus says, who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Verse 22, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Lordship must be the starting point for a conversation about stewarding what God has given us. Lordship must be the foundation. It must be the, the, the ground zero today of where it is we have a conversation about what God has entrusted into our care. Because here we have Jesus' powerful words of reminder. And, and what I think Jesus is doing here, what he is acknowledging here is worth us noting again. I think in these verses, Jesus is acknowledging that there are those who know Jesus is Lord. We declare it with our mouths. We know Jesus is Lord. Yes, he owns everything. Yes, Jesus is Lord. There's a difference. Jesus is acknowledging there are those who know Jesus is Lord and Jesus as Lord. I invite you to join in on this conversation for the next several Sundays. <laughs> I, I really believe that if we will go here... <laughs> Unwilling as we may be. And God, by his Holy Spirit, will do a convicting work inside of us. And we will sense true transformation in our hearts and lives. My prayer as your pastor, 
is that God would use these verses of Scripture to do a work in us. And I think God will move if we commit to letting him take and be Lord of our lives. So back to the question, what is lordship? Let's look at five things. First this, lordship is accepting the supremacy of God. We talk about it, we sing about it, we focus on it, but this is the foundation of what it means for God to be Lord of our lives, for Jesus to take that position as Lord, is for us to acknowledge that God is sovereign. We use that term sometimes in church circles. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God is the one. God is almighty. God is creator. God is supreme this morning. Last week, we looked at a passage from the gospel account of 10 lepers, and one returned to give thanks for his being cleansed from leprosy. Here, This morning in Matthew's gospel, another leper shows up in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. Here's how the scripture says. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approaches Jesus and kneels before him. And here's what he says. Lord, if you are willing, you could heal me and make me clean. I like this interaction because the leper in this verse understands the supremacy of God. His ability to do the impossible. Do you know that God can do the impossible? We know it. We talk about it. We sing about it. God, you are mighty. God, you are able. God, you created everything that we have. We, we oftentimes use language like that to talk about God. And then again, go back to the start of the message. We often go outside after singing even songs about God's ability, his greatness, even testifying to it. And we take back over in being our own gods. Lordship. Lordship requires us to accept that God is God. I I, want to say it this way. Lordship requires us to say and believe that God is. Period. God is. We won't hear it from our culture. We won't be told this uh, in, in schools. We will not be encouraged to believe this way, that God is supreme. He is the creator of all things. Nothing is here by chance. God did it. God created you. You're not here by mistake. He is perfect and holy and just, and he loves you. God is supreme. Scripture says God is the Alpha and the Omega. That means he's the first and the last of the Greek alphabet. He's the A and Z. He is the beginning and the end. He was here before time began. He will exist long after you don't. He is God. Do you ever get overwhelmed at the reminder of how small you are and therefore how big God is? I don't know if it happens out in the woods for you when you're staring up at the stars or you get lost in the woods like the scribes did a couple weeks ago. Ask them about that story. There's often reminders in my life. I don't know why it is, but my, my mind often uh, it just travels by itself sometimes. Anybody else have that happen to them? Just goes places and you're overwhelmed in a moment. Okay, nobody, pray for me. Okay, thank you. I have at least one or two. In 2012, our family was blessed to be able to go to Disneyland, and the kids were young, and we wanted to do everything we could at Disneyland in Florida. 
And so we stayed past our bedtime that night for the fireworks. How many of you guys have seen the fireworks at Disney? Yeah, it's worth doing if you haven't. We wanted to do everything. And the kid, we, we were all tired by the time the parade was happening. And then we still had to wait for the fireworks to happen. And things were winding down. And all of us, all six billion people at Disney that day, stayed for the fireworks. And as the dad, the protector, the one driving the stroller, it was my job to get us out of there. And it was like I was one of six billion people doing the exact same thing. It's like everyone parked where we parked. And we're all heading out in the same way. And I still remember, I have PTSD from this moment, I'm pretty sure. I still remember feeling absolutely outnumbered and overwhelmed. Like everything was out of my control. And can I be honest with you? I don't like that feeling. I don't think any of us do. But let me remind you, you're not in control. God is. You may be bound by your schedule, by your budget, by your time, by your thought of your resources. God isn't. He created the time. He created everything you have. He is God. Everything in our life is shakable except God's kingdom. Except his resources. If we're going to understand lordship, we must first realize that God is in control and he owns everything. Everything we have is a gift from God. We should acknowledge like the leper in this passage that God is able. (laughs) Acknowledging that God is already able to do the impossible. And for us to ask, is it his will? Is it within his will? What is lordship? Lordship is accepting the supremacy of God. I hope you write it down. Secondly, lordship is placing God at the center of our lives. The center of our lives. Can I admit something to you? I think I've confessed this to you before. When I was a kid, an adolescent, growing up in the church, my dad would preach messages. The youth pastor at camp would preach messages telling us that we had to put God first. Put God first. Put God first. And when I heard put God first, you know what I did? I put God first. First meaning, first thing in the morning. Three verses. If I could check off reading three verses, I accomplished putting God first. Three verses of scripture sounded like a pretty good task for me as a kid. If I could do that, then I could go back to business as usual. Go back to honestly putting myself back in first position as soon as I finished putting God first to my day. As I'm coming to continue to grow in my faith and lead others to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, all the more reason to realign our thinking to understand that God demands to be center of everything we do. Sometime in my life, it was illustrated to me that God wants to be the center spoke, the center hub of a wheel. And understanding that everything else that we do, if you think about this table, God being at the center, everything on outside of a spoke is to be seen and done through that understanding of what's at the center. Because, I don't know if it's because I'm an American. I don't know if it's because I'm an idiot. It was easier for me to assume that if I just did the God part first thing in the day, I could do whatever else came my way. 
God demands to be at the center of our life. Not a prioritized list that says, if I check God off, I can go about business as usual. Matthew, again, chapter 22. Jesus is interacting with those who are teaching the scriptures in his culture. And one of them comes to Jesus in verse 36 and says this, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? You know what I hear? Jesus, what, what can I do? What's the minimum that I can do? How, how many verses should I teach? How many verses should I uh, preach from? How many verses should I read during my morning devotions? And Jesus in verse 37 says this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, Jesus continues. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. As we read that passage of scripture, it's important for us to note that this interaction between the teachers of the law and Jesus is unique in this setting. Scripture says right here before these verses that uh, those Pharisees who are coming to Jesus are seeking to trap him in a place. And they're seeking to come to him to find out, okay, what, what's the least we can do? What, what would Jesus say is the least we can do after they've created all these extra human commands, these human rules that people were forced to, to go through? And this, so they come to Jesus, this teacher, the Messiah. And they ask him, kind of, what, what can we mess up on? And what do we have to get right? And Jesus gives them the all-encompassing center priority mindset. He says, everything that you do must be revolved around loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That... At the core of Jesus' teaching, Jesus says, he continues on with the mindset, he says, everything else is going to make sense if you start there. Everything will fall into place if you've surrendered to the lordship of God. If you've declared, if you will put Jesus and God at the center of your life. And yet, if we're honest, couldn't we come up with a list pretty quickly? Of all the things we've put in front of God, maybe even this past week. The things in our lives, our jobs, our families, our priority, to li- priority list. Some of us made a decision this morning whether we were going to make the emphasis, the effort to come to church this morning. Or whether we would wait till next week to be back in. The truth is, in most of our lives, I think we give God what we want to. We put God at the center of the areas where they're most broken. Right? We often come to God and we say things like, God, I can't handle this anymore. It's time for you to take it. I'll have it back when you fix it. I, I, I want it back, but you can have it right now because right now I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do with this, so it's yours. And I want you to hear it again this morning that God says, give it to me way before it's broken and I'll care for it. I'll walk with you through no matter what happens. If we hold back areas of our lives from giving them to God, we're missing out on the blessing of surrender. What God gives us in place of us giving it to ourselves is far greater than anything we can do on our own. Lordship. Lordship is placing God at the center of our lives. Number three, Lordship is accepting responsibility 
and accountability. Two areas of our culture that we don't like to focus on, right? Responsibility and accountability. You've heard the parable of the talents again in Matthew chapter 25. This parable that Jesus tells about a master going away and leaving these bags of silver, gold, these talents. We've, we've heard it explained in different ways throughout our time in the church. There's some amazing observations from this illustration that Jesus tells. This storyline that Jesus gives. Right in verse 14 uh, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip and he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. You know what that tells me? God has entrusted into our care some talents, some gifts, some ways in which we need to steward his resources. Can I remind you again? You're blessed. If you're here at Hyde Wesleyan Church this morning, you're not just blessed, you're rich. You're filthy rich. Look to your neighbor and tell them they're filthy rich. Isn't that, isn't that weird to think? It's silly, right? We, we, we really are. We're so blessed to be sitting in comfortable seats under electric lights in a climate-controlled facility with our friends and fa family, no fear of being persecuted in these moments. We're blessed. God has given us many, many resources. He's entrusted into our care. Another reminder is in this verse, in these verses of Scripture, verse 15, we see this. Uh, the master gives five bags of silver to one of his servants, two bags of silver to another, and one bag to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. It's true that God has given us different gifts and abilities, different resources have been entrusted into our care. And the gifts are not equally given. Different people have different responsibilities, different opportunities, different talents and gifts to be used for the master. And people respond differently in the next two verses, uh, ver uh, three verses, 16 through 18. We see that uh, the servants are entrusted with these resources from the master and two of them uh, do good. Right? They double the resources that they've been entrusted during this time that the master is away. And one responds quite differently than the other two. And he hides his gift. He hides these resources thinking that the master will be proud. Another reminder from this parable is that all of us are accountable for what we do with what the master gives us. In the parable that Jesus teaches, the master returns and he calls into account, he calls those who he has entrusted these resources to ask them how they have used his money. Can I remind us again this morning that Jesus is coming back? Don't forget that truth. We've said it a hundred different times and in a hundred different ways. While Jesus is away preparing a place for us in glory, we've got work to do. He's coming back for his church. He's coming back to call us to our eternal home in glory, in heaven, for those who are bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And while he is away preparing a place for us, we have work to do with what he has given us. This is lordship. Again, from this passage, this illustration that Jesus tells, this storyline, each of us is going to be held accountable. 
for how we've been responsible or not with what he's given us. In verses 20 and 30, we find, uh, or 20 through 30, we find that uh, as the master comes back and he finds out what the first two servants have done, he says to them, hey, you've doubled your resources. You have used my resources well. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We love that part. And for the one who didn't lose any money, but didn't do anything with what the master gave him, the master says, you wicked and lazy servant, depart from me. In this parable of Jesus, the the teaching, the, the things we can learn is that two of the men, two of these servants, looked at the master's expectations as a true blessing in their life. And one looked at the master's expectation to be at work as a burden. And the master in the story knows his servants. He knows what they're capable of. He knows what he has to give them. And he entrusts into their care. And and, and what we have, uh, what the lesson is from these verses of Scripture is that our responsibility is clear. Our work is clear. That we are to develop the gifts that God has given us. We are to use his resources, everything we have for his purposes. Not for our pleasure, not for uh, our growth, not for our means or our comforts, but for his heavenly purposes. His heavenly purposes, for uh, God to be at the center of everything we have, means that we have to identify what he wants us to do. And also that our accountability is clear, that he is returning. He will call us to be accountable for what we've done with what he's given. Someday, maybe someday soon, we will give an account to God for what we have done with what he gave us. Lordship is accepting responsibility and accountability. Fourth, Lordship is doing doing the will of God. This is the arena of action. Not, Not just saying what we're going to do. Not just saying what it is we're supposed to do. Action is a result of our belief. I hope that sounds familiar to you. Again, right back here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says it this way again, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Only those who are at work, actively at work, doing the will of my Father. Only those. Lordship is doing the will of our Heavenly Father. The results of our belief must be action. We have to put it to practice. We have to share the grace. We have to share the gift. We have to be kingdom-minded. We have to be about our Father's business. And the truth is, we know so much more than we are already obeying. Right? We have so much knowledge. Here's what happens so often. We read a passage of Scripture, maybe during our devotions, or we hear a message from a pastor from the pulpit, and we know, oh my goodness, yes, I am doing this wrong. And here's what so often we do. That's tough. I hope there's something else in here that maybe I could do. I hope there's something a little less transformational that Jesus would ask me to do. Where's the easy parts? Can I, can I say it this way? Doing the will of our Heavenly Father is hard work. Being a Christian is hard work. In a, in, in a culture, in a world that is continuing to move in a different direction of doing hard stuff, 
This is going to continue to become less and less popular in, 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 our, in our Christian circles. We, we want easy. We want quick. We want fast. We want ease. And that is not what we're allowed. To follow, to be about the Father's business, to use His resources for His purposes is not ever going to be easy. But it's what He's asked us to do. To be a light in dark places. To be salt in tasteless places. To share the gift of grace offered to a lost and dying world. We, we need to start doing what we already know to do. Maybe I need to stop preaching. And we need to just start doing what we already know we're supposed to do. Do what we already know. We can sound right. We, we can use the right words. We can look the right way. We can talk right and still not be right. Talk is cheap. And if our actions don't line up with what we know, then we're in trouble. We really don't need more theologians or pastors or church members. What we need is Christians surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, acting on the result of the transformation we've been given. In closing, number five, Lordship is personal obedience regardless of the cost. Personal obedience. This is where it comes home. This is where it gets to the root of the issue of us, uh, of us as individuals. After Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, he has exited the tomb, as Steve prayed, uh, sang this morning. Jesus is alive again. He's interacting with his disciples, and uh, Peter is often the disciple that we most relate to. We have a lot of information on Peter in Scripture, and uh, so often the way he responds to things is very much like us. Peter, if you'll remember, before the crucifixion, denies Jesus three times in the public area. Says he doesn't know him, is not with him, wants nothing to do with him. And Jesus, after the resurrection, after he's come back from death, is interacting with Peter, and he's asking Peter very sincerely, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds very quickly, of course, I love you, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. He does it again, asks him, do you love me? Yes, yes, I love you. The third time Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, the scripture says Peter's hurt in his heart that Jesus would have to ask him this way. He's hurt. You can imagine. And Peter responds, yes, you know I love you. And then Jesus reveals to Peter a little glimpse of how it is he would lose his life following after Christ. He gives him a little foreshadowing of what was to come. And you know what Peter does in that moment? <laughs> he looks over his shoulder and he sees John, another disciple of Jesus. And he goes, what about, what about that guy? And here's why Peter's so real to us. We do the same thing. In the area of personal obedience, of surrendering to God and letting it be personal to us, we often compare ourselves to someone else. We want only, only what the, the next worst person has. 
To surrender to the Lordship of Christ means that we can't have what I sometimes refer to as comparison Christianity, where we think, okay, I, I, I want to give to God what is His, but only as much as someone else that I know about. I, I want to surrender my life only as much as someone else who's doing a little bit worse than me. I want only to follow Christ as much as it hurts someone who hurts a little bit more than me. A little bit less than me. Sometimes we say it this way, I'll serve you. I'll serve you, God. I'll give you what's yours. I'll surrender to you as long as it's convenient. As long as it looks similar to whoever it is around me has it okay. And in reality, lordship removes our personal weights and measurements, the scale that we have built for ourselves and acknowledges the need for personal obedience regardless of what it costs us. Peter, quit worrying about what John gets. Do you love me? Stephen, quit worrying about what some other pastor experiences. Do you love me? Give me your whole self. Jim, Bill, whoever it is. Do you love me, Jesus asks. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to follow me? That's lordship. Lordship is accepting the supremacy of God. It's placing God at the center of our lives. It's accepting responsibility and accountability, and it's doing the will of God. It's personal obedience, regardless of the cost. And so I ask, Hyde Wesleyan Church, have you settled? Have you settled on who is Lord of your life? Have you answered that in your heart? Do you know Jesus is Lord? Or do you know Jesus as Lord? Let's close. Will you stand? Allow me to pray. Lord, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to be convicted of the areas in which we minimize you and put ourselves back in the first seat. But I pray, Lord, that if your Holy Spirit is convicting our hearts, that you would not allow us to rest without settling again today, that we want you at the center. And I pray that we collectively, corporately, as families, as individuals, and as a church, would continue every day to settle in acknowledging that you are Lord. Remind us that everything we have is yours. Remind us of your greatness, your supremacy. Remind us how little we are and how you're in control. And Lord, I pray that we would be bold as followers of Christ to take a stand in opposition to the ways of our culture, to die to ourselves and to live for you. I declare, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord of this church. This is your church. 
all we have is yours. We thank you for the blessings, for the resources, for the opportunities that you have given to us. And Lord, I ask again this day that we, your servants, we, those you have entrusted these resources to, because of our lordship issue being settled, that we would be found faithful to use these heavenly resources for your purpose. Would everything we do and say have a kingdom focus? Would we pursue everything we can do to see more people made new through Jesus Christ? God, I pray that for our church. And I pray that for every individual here. That we truly would settle this lordship issue. This area of lordship in our lives. Would you go with us as we leave from this place and as we go through our week? Would you help us to discern your will in the everyday, I pray. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus and God's people said. Amen. God bless you.